Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. What a declaration. I hope there's no disorientation, no confusion about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is alive today. And we celebrate him. Would you give the Lord a a pause, a praise? The Bible says praise him with our lips and with our hands and everything that is inside of us. There's a little statement that is said in churches for years and centuries. Christ is risen. And I, hallelujah, that's right. Let's say this together. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Y'all can be seated. Wow. I hope that's something that you hear in your hearts and that you truly, truly believe it. We have been talking about who Jesus is and how people see him and people see him so differently. In the, in the first century when Jesus was walking and talking, doing miracles, there was a, there was a, a difference of opinions about who Jesus was. Even on Palm Sunday, we read it last week, that there's confusion about who Jesus is. And so the whole muddled mess, you'd think we'd be clear by now, but actually today we still have confusion about who Jesus is. But here's what I want to say. Said it from the beginning of this series of messages that we've done during Lent. The most important decision that you will make in your life is what you believe about Jesus. Because it will affect every other thing in your life. It'll affect your marriage, your job, your ethics, your morals. It will affect how you see life, how you see death. is all tied up into how and you connect with or what you believe about Jesus. So if you, if you have a bigger one than that, please bring it to my attention and we'll go toe-to-toe debating it. But that statement of Christ is risen, this was not an original, some early church father came up with that, that was actually spoken to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was in, in the book of Matthew, and we're going to talk about Mary Magdalene, kind of a, a unique person we don't know a lot about, but we do know enough about it that about her to, to intrigue us. But we've been talking about different people in the last 24 hours of Jesus's life with their different opinions, but really believing that there is one truth about who Jesus is, and kind of seeing that truth unfold and uh, be revealed to us. So we talked about Judas, how Judas really kind of saw Jesus as more of an influencer. We have influencers today. You can follow influencers or not follow influencers. You can like their post or not like their post. Well, that's kind of how, how if you want to say Judas kind of looked at Jesus. He's like, hey, if you're, if you're getting me ahead in life, then okay, I'm going to follow you. But that's not, that's not the Jesus that we're talking about here. He's, not, he's more than an influencer. Caiaphas, Caiaphas saw him as a disruptor. He was getting into his space. It was in his area. He was in his lane. It's like, hey, I'm a little envious of where you're going with this. You're getting all the attention and I am not. And so there's a lot of uh, uh, disruption in Caiaphas' mindset. Pilate, well, you'd think as the leader, as as the one who's been sanctioned, commissioned as the leader from Rome, he'd have it all figured out and he'd put a, put, put a big stamp on it. In reality, he struggles. He, he doesn't want to answer the question. He wants to avoid the question. He, he tries to go in so many darts in so many different ways. Then we had Barnabas. 
Barnabas was that, that guy that uh, he was truly guilty. He was the notorious criminal locked up behind bars. And he only saw Jesus as an escape. Uh, he's my way out. But really what Jesus was in that whole story is he's a substitute. Jesus took Barabbas's place on the cross. That was a sign very likely to Barabbas. It was Jesus who takes his place. We talked about the criminals just last week. These two criminals side by side, probably, uh, probably in the same gang, running the same uh, uh, crime together. One believes, one doesn't believe. There's just a whole diversity. Then Sunday or Friday night, we talked about, about how this, this centurion, this unnamed ruler of the, of, the, uh, of the soldiers who are overseeing the crucifixion, how at the end, the very last words, he says, surely this is the Son of God. All along through this time, Laps. We've seen different opinions on who Jesus is. Then Jesus dies. Well, what happens? There's another person. Everyone else just about has abandoned Jesus, denied Jesus, or betrayed Jesus. And when I say just about everyone, I'm talking about even his disciples. Abandoned, betrayed, or denied him. And you see that in the scriptures. And it's just like heart-wrenching. But there was a few, and Mary Magdalene being one of them, who was loyal, who was a believer at a core level of belief. It wasn't just a holiday belief. It wasn't an influencer belief. It wasn't, in, it was a all in belief in Jesus. Mary Magdalene was the one who stayed at the cross until he breathed his last and was there whenever he breathed his last. She was there whenever they put him in the tomb and sealed it up tight. She didn't just walk away and say, oh, that was a good for that season. She stayed at the tomb. In fact, it says in Matthew 27, she sat across from the tomb waiting for the Sabbath to end before she goes home. But she's also going to be the first one back at the tomb, back early in the morning, before it's dark, before the light comes up on the day. Other women will come behind her. The disciples will come behind them. But it's Mary Magdalene who's the last one and the first one, the last one there and the first one back. There was something about Mary Magdalene that she wasn't just going to let Jesus go, literally. She had seen Jesus as her love and her life. That's how Mary Magdalene seen her. Now, let me just pause right here because there's all, there is some bad, bad literature out there. It's called the Lost Gospel. It's written in 570 AD. It proposed, again, remember, 570 years after, after Jesus was, was born or 500 years after Jesus was walking there. Here, here, there's a, there's a, there's a historical belief that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married that they were a thing. And that's absolutely, there's no historical backing that's reliable whatsoever that would point anything to that. That's made up years, 500 years after Jesus was on this earth. But she did love him. And she did see Jesus as her life. And there's something about as she walked with Jesus and experienced Jesus, she, her love was transformed for him and her life was made complete through him. Through his life and through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection, her life was made complete. Here's the thing. This room's full of a lot of people wearing pastels today, right? Going to have family photos made out all out at the, at the, at the photo booths. Going to go home and maybe hide some eggs and eat a big meal. We believe in the resurrection 
or you wouldn't be here. Or maybe you are here and you don't necessarily believe. You're not, you're not exactly sold on it. But what difference does it make? What difference does it make in your life? On Monday, what difference? In your parenting, as we talk about next week, what difference does it make in your parenting? I want to propose to you today that the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the difference. It's the most important decision. What you're going to do with him and how you believe about him. And there are two ways when you look at just Mary Magdalene's life, her love and her life, and how it wrapped up in that resurrection story. And I want us to see ourselves in a mirror today in the same way. One is we see his love embraces our mess, okay? His love steps into our mess unconditionally and embraces it. I've heard it said like this, and I believe it's absolutely true, that God, Jesus, loves you as you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you there. That he is a working on you. He wants to work on you. He wants to work in you. He loves you as you are, but he loves you not enough to, to, to let you stay in that, in that, in that state of, uh, of mess, if you will. And we all have our messes. We all have a level of mess. How, how, how well we cleaned it up, that's a different story. Romans 2, 4 says that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Again, it's his kindness that's embracing us where we're at, but he's calling us to a better, deeper uh, life. It's, it's his love that's demonstrated on the cross, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why we were still sinners, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He didn't wait for us to get our act together, to get ourselves cleaned up. He comes to us in our brokenness. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we've probably read this 15 times or maybe three or four times at least, this series of messages, and just realizing that, that, that Christ suffered. He suffered for us once and for all, the righteous. He's the righteous. We're the unrighteous for the reason of bringing us to God, connecting us back to the God of our creation, the God who breathed life into us, the God who has a beautiful, awesome future for you as you follow him. But here's the problem. We all have a messed up life. We all have a history. We all have a rap sheet. We all have something in our life that holds us back from being in that relationship. We all have a story. Again, how well and how clean your story is, that's a a conversation you got to have inside your soul. We all have a story. God has a story. And when our story combines with God's story, it creates a greater story. I have a story, you have a story, we all have a story, but when it kind comes together, it creates a greater story. And when you look at Mary Magdalene, you can't help but see this. The first time we see Mary Magdalene is actually in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, soon after, he went through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is doing. He's doing it. Who is he doing it with? He's doing it with his 12. His 12 disciples, we know them. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. He could have stopped and gone right on, but he specifically calls out Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene, Mary's not her last name. Mary is her, uh, she is from Magdala, which is a fishing village on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. But they had to call her Mary Magdalene because there were four different Marys in the Gospels, and you had to know which one you're talking to. This is Mary Magdalene from that fishing village, and what does she have? She has seven demons. Not one, seven. Okay? 
It's not one-on-one. It's not even three-on-one. It's, you can't even play zone D. I mean, what, what, how do you defeat that? And they're living with you. She's consumed by them. This is her story. This is her story. But when her story meets Jesus' story, it creates a greater story. And a part of that greater story is that it creates a vertical relationship with God that is one of freedom. She is set free from these evil spirits. She is set free from their possession and oppression. Now, again, you and I may not have ever been possessed by a demon or seven of them, to say the least, but what is it about her? What was she doing that opened herself up to such an oppression, such a possession? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know her story. Some people speculate, but we don't know. But I think I'm okay with that because I don't know your story. And you don't know all my story. But I do know this. When my story meets God's story, it creates a greater story. And what happens is she meets Jesus. She creates a vertical or God creates a vertical relationship that sets her free. And when God sets you free, when Jesus sets you free, why would you ever go back into slavery? This is what it says in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, the freedom in Christ. The freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Why would I go back to slavery the Son has set you free. You're free indeed. That's the, that's the kind of relationship of our story. Listen, if you knew my story, my story has addictions in the past. My story has some neglect and abuse in the past. It definitely has some shame and regret in my past. I've been held captive in recent months, maybe years, to anxiety. And I've talked about that. I've had suicidal thoughts and even had plans. Yes, but what has been able to set me free from that darkness? Has it been mind over matter? Has it been pills? Has it been me just getting a new life? It's me leaning into that relationship that I have with Jesus and letting him set me free. I pray you know that. I pray you know that. I pray you experience that. It's not only a vertical freedom with, with God that I'm, I'm connected to God, but it's also a horizontal love that I'm able to love like, I, love like nobody else. I'm able to, to accept and embrace and forgive and, and, and to be reconciled. Like, like, not this world doesn't do that well. Have you noticed the hatred that is pulsating through our culture? The polarization? You're criticizing canceled before you know it. What we need is not criticism and canceling. We need care and compassion. The sweet sauce that makes Christianity so awesome and so beautiful is the fact that we can love even our enemies. The number one command that Jesus gives us is to love one another. And we can do that because we have a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't, man, please don't go any further in your life. Luke chapter 7, verse 34, again, some people have pointed this out to possibly be Mary Magdalene because it's an unnamed woman, but this is the way it's described of her. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. What does this woman of, this, of the city who was a sinner do? Does takes an alabaster jar and busts it over Jesus and begins to wash him down. Very expensive perfume. Covering him. Anointing him. Listen, hate is free. Love is costly. 
it, 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 but it's a part of the, the, the beauty of being, the sweetness of being in relationship with Jesus. Hate is free. It's all out there. You can, you can just walk in it. it just, it's in our culture today. I'm reminded of a story uh, by a bishop from Ireland. Bishop um, was, uh, was out on a, on a boat, uh, Bishop Usher. He was out on a boat, his own personal boat, and, um, off, off the shores of Ireland, and it tipped over, it capsized one time. And he literally thought he was going to drown, and he swims his way to an island, makes his way to, to some people on that island to ask for help. And he's all disheveled, he's all messed up, and he walks up to this house, knocks on the door, he says, hey, can you give me warm food? Can you give me some clothes? Can you, can you help me out? I'm a bishop. And the guy looks at him and says, you don't look like a bishop. No, 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 I'm Archbishop Usher. You don't look like an Archbishop. You look like somebody who's about to take me. He said, no, 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 I am. Says, this guy thinks, I- I'm, I'm gonna test you because if you're the Archbishop, you should know this. How many commandments did God give us? He thought 10. Usher said 11. No, you failed the test. There's no way. No, no. Jesus gave us a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. The guy goes, okay, drop the mic. I don't know if he said that part. But he said, you're welcome to come on in. You understand the Bible better than I understand the Bible. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to have his love totally tear down the walls of our brokenness. His story intersecting with our story, making a greater story is this beautiful work of God where I'm able now to love people that I wouldn't normally love, accept people I wouldn't normally accept, embrace people. Yes, if you're in this room today and you're a Democrat, a Republican, an independent, a libertarian, a communist, a single, a gay, a straight, a married, a divorced, a never married, a young or an older, red, yellow, black, or white, you are precious in his sight, and I love you, and Grace Point loves you, and I hope that you will love others because of the resurrected Jesus. Amen? <laughs> Jesus' love embraces our mess, and we all got a mess. Embrace the mess. Number two, Jesus' life gives us life. That's a little redundant, I know. I've got a life, I'm breathing. I'm, I'm here in this room, Mike. When are you gonna be over? I'm hungry. You're alive, right, good. Um, but he gives you life. Life on top of life. Life full and free, life full and complete. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it more abundantly. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He told that to, as Lazarus was raising back from the life again. Jesus is more than just a, a breathing organism. He is br- giving us life that is full and overflowing. In fact, when you go to John chapter 20, and I encourage you this afternoon to read the whole chapter that Lori just read a portion of a few moments ago. You're going to find where the, the resurrected Christ is mentioned no less than five times. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Making it abundantly clear. Now, why does he say it so many times? Why does he talk about Thomas singing, putting his hands in his side? Why Mary Magdalene? Why? Well, isn't one enough? He's just emphasizing this. Yes, the Lord is seen. He is alive. He is well. Why? Because of what he said in verse 31. This is why he wrote all of these out. All he wrote, five different accounts out, is by believing you may have life in his name. 
It's not just you being a breathing, living organism in this room right now, but do you have life in his name? Mary is in this perplexed situation where she was the last one at the at the crucifixion, the last one to leave the tomb, and the first one back at the tomb. And now she's there, and the tomb raiders have come in, and they've taken my Savior. What does she do? She begins to weep. Verse 11, it says she's weeping. Verse 11 says she's wept. Uh, Again, uh, later on, weeping, weeping. She is wailing. This is not a little tear in the corner, tear duck of your eyes. This is ugly crying. This is loud crying. Why? She said, they've taken away my Lord. They've taken away. That's no small thing. If Jesus is your Lord, he's calling the shots. It's not a 50-50 relationship with Jesus. It's not a 49% relationship with Jesus. And you get the last decision. You're the 51. When Jesus is Lord, he calls the shots. Now, all of a sudden, she's missing her Lord. She's missing her, her teacher. She's missing her guide in life, and she is crying, and she is welling. And there's thing about tears. Tears tell a story. I used to ask people, why are you crying? I don't ask them anymore. I ask them this question. What are your tears saying right now? Because your tears are, are giving voice to your soul. And she is weeping because her Lord is missing. But then Jesus is resurrected. The resurrection restores joy and hope. This is what's going to happen whenever you look in the story. The resurrection is going to restore joy and hope into her life. Joy is what gives you the perspective on the present situation. Doesn't mean everything's perfect and honky-dory, but it does mean that I can still have joy in my current circumstances. Hope is what gives you promise for a future. Jesus' resurrection gives us both joy and gives us hope. Verse 14, she's sitting there weeping. And uh, having said this, she she turned away uh, and saw Jesus standing. Now, she saw Jesus, but because she was weeping, crying, she could not see Jesus. But she did not know him that it was Jesus. Jesus said to the woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing it was him to be a gardener, that Jesus is just the gardener. She said to him, sir, they have carried him away. Tell me where they have laid him and I will take him away. She's still in the mindset that Jesus isn't resurrected. She's in the mindset that Jesus has been taken. Okay, look at verse 16. She's looked at Jesus. She's confused about him being the gardener. In verse 16, it says this. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. That's all he said. But there's a, there's an, there is a intimate relationship. And again, I don't mean intimate as in lovers. There's an intimacy with Jesus that she has that whenever Jesus just drops her name, she now knows it's him. And she turns to him and she calls him rabbi in Aramaic. 
my, my rabbi, my Lord, my rabbi, you're alive, you're here, you're present? Yes, because here's the thing about a relationship with Jesus, again, that restores hope and that gives us joy for our life. Here's the thing about this, is that Jesus calls us by name. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Where are you at today? Because Jesus is the joy. He is our hope in our life. First Peter chapter one, verse three says, he caused us to be born again, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How do we get that hope? We get it through the resurrected Christ. How's that hope come? It's a living hope. That means it's here today. It will be with you tomorrow. It will be with you the next day. It doesn't die. It doesn't fade off the scene. It's with you. The resurrection of Christ restores our hope, or gives us a hope, restores our joy, and gives us a hope for the future. I want, to, I want us to, to read Romans chapter 10 passage is probably you've read before and you've read it probably in the second person, which is how it's written. But I want us to pop it up on the screen, guys, if you don't mind. I want you to read it in the first person. Read it with me. If I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. For with the heart I believe and I am justified. And with the mouth Let that sink in. The resurrection brings hope, brings joy, brings salvation. Yes, it brings life on top of the life that you're living. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, time, season of my life, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Jesus puts a joy in our present and a hope in our tomorrow, but Jesus' resurrection also gives us a life, a mission, and a message. So it's not just that I have joy and that I have hope, but he actually calls me out of that, calls me with that hope to go out into this world and to share that with other people. What happens is Jesus, again, as Mary realizes this is Jesus, she runs and clings to him, embraces him, not gonna let him go, kind of hugs. And then Jesus says this, don't cling to me. For I've not ascended to the Father, but I go to my brothers and, and say, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to the Father and your Father, my God and your God. I want you to zero in on a couple of things. The word cling. Does that mean you can't touch Jesus? No. In fact, Thomas later on in the same chapter is told to touch Jesus. But she was clinging as if I'm not going to let you go, Jesus. You left me once. I'm not going to let you leave me again. That's not what it's about. You can cling to a worship service. You can cling to a relation, uh, your relationship with Jesus. That's not enough. What he calls us to do, and what's so beautiful in this, is he calls us to go and he calls us to say. But here's what I want you to also see in this. That the very first person that sees the resurrected Jesus, that is given the great commission of going and preaching the first Easter message 
on a sunrise service, if you will, to the disciples is not a dude. It's a woman. Yeah. (laughs) And she is charged with going and preaching the very first message. Now, this is important because in that day and age, the Hebrews, nor the Greeks or the Romans, believed that women's voices mattered. In fact, in the Hebrew words themselves, it says this, it is better that the words of the law be burned than be delivered to a woman. So the Hebrews didn't value the woman. The Greco-Roman world didn't value the woman. Calcius, C-E-L-S-U-S, Greek pagan philosopher, 80 years after Jesus' life and ministry on the earth, refused to believe in the resurrection because the resurrection was revealed to a woman. So Greco-Roman world, you got the Hebrew world, but what does Jesus do? He says, listen, I don't care who you are. If my resurrection and my life has given you life, has set you free, has given your love into your story and my story has met your story, I don't care. You are told to go and to share. We as followers of Jesus are given that great commission. Everything. So what does she do with it? She literally stands up. Mary Magdalene, verse 18, went and announced to the disciples that I have seen the Lord. Preaches the very first Easter message. It's not about anything other than Jesus and that Jesus is entering into all of our stories and Jesus is giving us himself so that every last one of us, man, woman, boy, girl, educated, uneducated, doesn't matter who you are, if you've experienced the resurrected Jesus, you've got a story to tell. And it's not your story, and it's not just God's story. It's how your story and God's story came together to create a greater story. Would you bow your heads with me? The realization that that this message is for every single person in this room. I hope you sense and feel that. If you're at the end of one continuum and you're the person who's living in the mess right now, you've not experienced that freeing love, that, that love that enables us to love others and to forgive and to be reconciled. You've never entered into a relationship with Jesus You're here today, not by accident. You're here today by divine appointment that you would understand that God wants to rewrite your story. He's gonna do it through the power of the resurrection of Jesus. If you're here today and you're at the other end of the continuum, I'm a child of God, I know I'm a child of God, I wouldn't miss Easter, It's it's my favorite day of the year, all this kind of stuff. But you're just clinging to Jesus and you're not going and sharing and declaring and showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people, there's something wrong. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, just say something like this. Jesus, I give myself to you. Father, I trust you. Jesus, I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection, and I'm trusting you, Jesus. And do not leave this space without telling someone, tell me, come find me. I'll be out in the gallery. Father, you know the, everybody in this room and none of us can hide from you and Lord, nor should we want to. 
Just as you know Mary's name, you know our name. I can barely remember all of my kids and grandkids. God, you, you, you know our names and you call us. And Father, today I believe you're calling some people in this room to be your children. And I pray that you give them the courage to say yes to you, Jesus. And Father, I pray for those in this room that are children of God, that they are, they're looking and thinking about who this week is the resurrection story going to help me interact with them and share and show Jesus with. Father, we worship you because you're worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.